Alright, folks, welcome on back to another episode of the Boombastic Cast. Right? Glorious. We, we have Alexander Hawk with us over here. Hey, always glad to be here, man. We caught him in between shooting. He's always in some foreign land shooting a big film now. Cost a lot of money. I, I yeah. try to keep busy. I try to keep busy, man. You Cost know. a lot to keep him on this show, dude. The budget for the show is huge just to keep Alex in the episodes. What? I mean, half a million dollars per episode, I think, is fair. I mean, well, that's what your agent. <laughs> I got expenses. I disagreed, but your agent was, that's what he said. That was his stance, too. He's like, perfectly fair. I don't know about that, but we need you on the show, so here you are. You know what I mean? I'll never have anything nice in my life because of you, but you're here on the show. So that's good. That's all that really matters. All right. We have a great guest with us, you know, friend of the show. This is not his first time on the, around the bin. Greg, Greg DeLisso is on, on the show with us, killing it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very honored to be back. I always love talking to you guys. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. We know you got a new film about to be coming down the pike. You know what I mean? You want to tell the folks listening a little bit about that? I know there's an Indiegogo page going that people can support. We're going to be pushing that a little bit throughout the show. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, there. I'm so I'm in June coming up here. I'm making a movie called Bad Brain that I wrote. Um, and the, like uh, Matt said, there's an Indiegogo page uh, open right now, and we're raising donations and stuff. And we really, uh, you know, very grateful for any support. Um, it's it's um, it's uh, we're we're making this thing happen. We're in pre-production. It's going really well. We got the schedule going. We're getting dates locked in. We got with the whole thing is cast pretty much. Uh, you know, we're putting it all together, um, but we just need some help and, uh, it's going great. I'm really excited about it. And yeah, it's called Bad Brain. Um, it's a script that I wrote last year. Um, and one of the major themes of it is, uh, Friends versus Seinfeld, which it sounds like we're going to be discussing a little bit here coming up. And I'm always excited to talk about that. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, we're going to get a little into that Friends versus uh, Seinfeld. I was lucky enough to read the script. Magnificent script. I can't wait to see it laid out on film and done. Um, and there is kind of a little bit of a reoccurring theme in there, a little bit of a nice argument of uh, what what is truly the best show. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, Well, I really appreciate you reading the script, first of all. Um, oh. And I'm very flattered and stuff, but uh, I, and I'm honored that you were one of the people that got to read it before it, you know, comes to life. Um, and yeah, I should I should sort of preface the whole uh, somewhat, you know, the whole the whole conversation that we're about to have that and say that um, you know uh, a major theme in the script is very much like the way that mental illness and especially maybe like autism spectrum or depression can make you feel like an outsider and the way in which people uh, create their identity around the kind of art that they love and, and maybe hate. And so there's a very us against them friends sort of versus Seinfeld theme running through it. Uh, The idea being that like, the kind of person that likes friends is a different kind of person than somebody that likes Seinfeld. I'm fully aware me, Greg DeLiso, the director, the artist, I'm fully aware that there's people that love both shows. I don't begrudge anybody for liking or disliking either one of the shows. I don't have, I mean, I'm not, it's not about being a judgmental thing, but it's a theme in the script about 
the again the sort of us against them mentality of like oh I'm you know I'm a Beatles person and you're a Stones person and I'm a this you know you like Nickelback and that's bad and I like this thing and that, the way that people carve their identity out of the, their artistic taste um, and kind of put themselves on a little island and hate the rest of the world for the wrong taste that other people have um, and so the the friend Seinfeld debate in the script is very much used to magnify that and as a metaphor for those kind of feelings um so yeah i just want to say i don't i i don't uh i'm not a hater to anyone you can love whatever art you like um it's not about that but uh, i think we're going to be getting into some friend seinfeld stuff with which is a subject that i always love to talk about so you know i love the connection to art and personality that you just talked about right there because it's true you'll see people that are just super die hard for one thing and they would just shit all over something else completely, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it's a weird vibe, you know, and it's, it's kind of, you know, it's got to be the, the things that happen to you in life and stuff like that that would make you vary. But it's like, it's interesting because it's like if one person loves it so much, it's kind of interesting that somebody else could hate it so much, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. And I certainly used to be that way and when I was much younger and I've softened and I would hope to think that I've matured and gotten a little bit wiser as I've got older, I'm more accepting of people and not tried to be so spiky. So maybe let go of some of my ego problems that were causing that, that kind of stuff. But I definitely, when I was, you know, 15 or 20 or something, I was very much like that for sure. It's definitely a maturity thing, I think. And then the people that kind of don't get out of it are the people, you know, still act immature, so to, so to speak, because right. sure it is, it's, it's a, it is a, it really is at the end of the day, just a, like a being, having, um, of being open-minded. It's really just an open-minded thing at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, did both of you guys get heavy into these shows as your younger uh, friends in Seinfeld? I know that I had to watch both. I watched Seinfeld more out of wanting to watch it. And then Sein- and then Friends was more of like my mom was watching it. So I kind of had to tag in with it. That's how it went. But like, I liked yeah. some of the shows, you know? That For me, good. um, I, you know, I was, I'm, I've been a diehard Seinfeld fan since I was about eight years old. Um, it was a cherished show in our household growing up. And when I was eight years old, it one of it would have been about 94 or something. And so I kind of caught up with it while it was like still on the air. And I watched the last few seasons, like as they aired. Um, but I also watched it in syndication every single day. There were, there were two like reruns that would run, um, like around six or 7 PM every night. So I would watch those as well. So I was, you know, by the time I was 12, I was like completely, you know, familiar with like every episode of Seinfeld, like by far, um, never watched friends. Then when I got married, when I was about, uh, what was I 26, when I got married, uh, my wife and my mother-in-law like loved, uh, friends. Yeah. And I actually had a dog named Chandler. Um, and so Friends was always on in our household. Um, and uh, so basically, um, I was completely inundated with Friends through that and grew to have an appreciation for it. I mean, if, you, if the person that you love loves something, you know, you can still tease them and joke about it and kind of dismiss it. But like, if it's on enough, you, you sort of grow to have a certain affection for it, for sure. Um, I, I, I sort of joked that like, I converted my wife into being a fan of Seinfeld and she wasn't before. And she never really fully converted me to being a friend's fan. So like, it was kind of 
on, on the scales were kind of uneven. Um, and of course, I you know I, I'm sure I talked about this the last time I was in your show, and it's been over three years now. But you know, very tragically, a little over three years ago, my wife passed away. Uh, my mother-in-law is also no longer with us as well. Um, so to me, um, you know, specifically with friends, but in, in, in a generalized way, you know, the, the hating on friends or whatever, especially that I used to do, um, I have like sort of softened to a lot of that too, because to me, it's like a lot of the, the love, hate Seinfeld battle versus friends stuff in my script, bad brain is also like an honor to them. Um, so there's a deeper thing of it. Now that's something I'm not, I, the audience isn't going to know that going in. They're not going to know my personal story and all that stuff. But yeah. for me personally, that part of it is like speaks to that directly as well. So there's kind of a, you know, it's a metaphorical thing for sure. I like the personal touches, even, you know, when they're under the, under the layers like that, under the skin, they're more, they're more, uh, they resonate more, I think, because you're not like pointing out why they're there, but the heartfeltness of it's there, so to speak. I hope so. Yeah, I appreciate that. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now Chandler, that Chandler character, I'd probably would have to say is my favorite character of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna, we'll ask you about your, and the thing with Chandler I remember is that uh, he had like, he liked nose candy for a little bit. And I felt like he was better when he was on the nose candy, not that we promote drug use at the Boombasticast, but he was funnier because he was more of the physical zany one in the bunch, you know what I mean? So I think that you really helped him. him. You can, yeah, you can see, see it, it for sure. Yeah. He has that glaze in a few seasons where you can see his, his face is glazed over. Yeah. He, I read a thing about that. He's talking about taking like 20 Viking in a day and stuff like that when he was, when he was doing that at the height of it. Yeah. I, it's, it's like unimaginable. Yeah. Um, I, it's I remember we talked about Norm McDonald in yeah. one of our shows, you know, rest in peace to Norm as well. But there's a funny thing if you go on YouTube and you type in like Norm McDonald, uh, Chandler or like, uh, Matthew Perry or whatever. Cause there was a thing where like, uh, like they were, Matthew Perry was going to post SNL and his agents were talking about how like funny he was. And his agent was like, he invented like a way of talking that's just like so different. And Norm's like, you mean sarcasm? <laughs> like he, and then, you know, so the joke was that like Matthew Perry thinks he invented sarcasm. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, it's good stuff. He's too much. The uh, Alexander. Yeah. Where where did Friends and Seinfeld fall in your uh, viewing material? Well, I mean, it's funny. I mean, I mean, Seinfeld and Friends uh, were very big um, juggernauts of of sure. TV. I mean, so you know, I knew of them. I've seen um, a bunch of episodes of both. Um. But neither one of them, I would ever say, were like my in my favorite TV shows or shows that I went out to watch. It was more of like it was on TV, nothing's going on. I watch an episode, I was like, oh, okay, and then I move on. I mean, that was my entire relationship with both of them. Now, if um, uh, we're getting into which one I preferred. I would have to go with Friends um, because there's a lot more episodes that and, and, and comedy uh, that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the characters a lot more on Friends. Um, Seinfeld, I never really connected with. I didn't connect with the humor or the characters. Um, I mean, a big thing for me, if I'm going to invest any time watching a series... 
the characters have to, you know, kind of either remind me of someone or there's something interesting about it. I mean, the whole point of Seinfeld, uh, which I think it was uh, Jerry Seinfeld said that the whole point was there was supposed to be no growth with the characters on Seinfeld, which I understand. I, I saw where he was going with that idea, but that idea is why I do not like Seinfeld. Because mm-hmm. for me, if I'm spending time watching a series, watching characters, I mean, not saying Friends had great growth. They really didn't. But there was a little bit, I mean, you saw the relationships, you saw people, you know, you know, getting better and, 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 and their, the relationships are forming into something different from how it was in the very first episode. So for me, friends, I enjoyed more. I, I respect both of them as art forms, even though Seinfeld never, never was one that I really liked. I respect that opinion. I don't have that opinion too often, but I respect that. I think, I think that's a much healthier opinion as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I respect and I think it's a much healthier uh, take for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We because, really- I mean, I mean, the thing is that, I mean, whether you're looking at TV shows, movies, any kind of art form, whether it's painting, whether it's writing, is that, there's a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different ways that people use, like in this case, the art of comedy to put forward an idea or poking fun at our situations. I mean, Seinfeld was more of looking at the you know, ridiculousness of, of people and of situations and, and the inane things of life. Well, Friends was more of, you know, a comical of, you know, the 20-year-olds of the time and the relationships, the ins and outs, the that kind of stuff, which, I mean, is why both of them kind of uh, really blossomed when they did. It was, all of them were nice little, um, almost time capsules of the times that they were, you know, doing, uh, that they were performed in. Yeah. Definitely. I agree with that. How many pills a day was he doing? 17 or something? I don't know. Something like that. I mean, look, I don't want to, you know. Well, I just wanted to say, I brought that up because I'm in in, in like documentaries and sit downs with wrestlers. They always talk about how they take, like, rock and roll people do. They take like 70 Vicodin a day, and you're like, how are you still alive, dude? Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's nuts. I've tried, I've had Vicodin before in my day. And like one or two pills will put you to send you to the moon, dude. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, it's crazy. It's craziness, yeah. but I guess you grow a little, uh, uh, you know, addiction to it, and they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the <laughs> More than a little, effect. but yeah. yeah, yeah. So, all right. So we're gonna pop into. We got ten of the most beloved episodes of both of these shows. Um, we're gonna start with the number tens, and we're gonna kind of battle them off in the verses. And we're going to see right. who is officially the winner. But you'll still have to, you know, watch the movie. <laughs> now, this is just a little I, side I feel like thing. My bias it. is going to come into play. I, I, I have to admit, I probably won't even be that familiar with all the Friends episodes, to be totally honest with you. Well, I have a little description. I, I got the, I got the, I got what it is in the description. And okay. uh, 
with Friends, I got the season because I know that that it fluctuated within the season. Like Seinfeld, I believe the first couple of seasons was kind of tough, right? Like they had to stick it out for a couple of seasons before they really popped. Yeah, so Seinfeld uh, debuted in 89 and uh, the first season, um, the ver- show was virtually unwatched, but it was allowed to incubate. Didn't get popular until season four when they had their most famous episode called The Contest about the masturbation contest. Yeah. That that episode propelled them from like a little known niche show into like one of the biggest shows on television. Mm. And then it was the number one show for the remaining five seasons of its run. Uh, after season seven of, of nine, uh, Larry David left the show. So the last two seasons are tonally different than the previous seven in some pretty specific ways. Um, the first, I would say three to four seasons are also noticeably, um, slower in i mean i still think they're brilliant but they're they are in tone they are slower moving than the latter seasons just because they really hadn't found their footing completely yet they're still figuring it out uh that's that doesn't when i say sometimes slower might sound like it's like a critical thing their episodes are literally just as good they just don't move it as quick of a pace as the as the later ones and by the end the show moves at like lightning speed it just goes super fast but, um, you know, after Larry left, the show got much less cerebral, much more wacky, much more slapstick, much more cartoonish. Um, I personally love those episodes as well. I think some of the best ones are in the last two seasons, but um, that's, you know, there's people that disagree with that as well. I mean, I think for the most part, people think of the golden era of the show from about season four to about season seven, those three years. Yeah. I'm with that. And, the, and um, Friends was kind of, I felt like they hit the ground running. Like they were, like it was built up beforehand. That was, that was kind of the era of must-see TV. I think both those shows. Uh, yeah. And like Friends like came, like it came with almost a built-in audience somehow. It felt like, like when that was uh, premiering, like the premiere was a big deal. I remember, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. What year was that? 94, 95? 94, 95, somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, I think you're right. And I think that, to me, this was something that I always sort of like would think about is that, you know, so they always say that, you know, Friends is based on this British show called Singles. Um, you know, Seinfeld is obviously the, the brainchild of Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld. And it's there's a whole like mythology to how that came about and everything and all that stuff. But um, I always thought it was like fairly obvious that NBC thought, well, we have this very hit popular show all of a sudden. And it's about sort of like people in their mid thirties that are single in New York city, um, you know, working out the mundane, you know, uh, dissecting the mundane parts of relationships and friendships and life. But, but like you said before, Seinfeld or like, uh, Hawk said, um, Seinfeld was the anti sitcom. So it wasn't focused on sentimentality. It wasn't focused on growth. It wasn't, it wasn't serialized really in any uh, significant way. So it seems like the people at NBC just thought, well, what if we made the characters more attractive, younger, and changed New York City from the esoteric, realistic New York City into something that looks like it could take place anywhere in America? Because I never got a sense of, like, when you watch Seinfeld, it's like, it's very New York City. Um, It's very Jewish. Uh, Friends is very waspy, and it's very all any town in America. It doesn't never felt like it took place in New York to me. Um, but it just, so it just feels like basically like they took a show that in Seinfeld that they saw that they had a hit 
And they said, well, how can we make this even more massively popular by sort of doing it again? And I mean, I would say that like Phoebe is very obviously a Kramer. Um, the fact that the characters have much more personal interdynamics where they're like sleeping together and dating each other all the time is something that the network notes were always trying to infuse into Seinfeld unsuccessfully. So it's sort of like they, they sort of made friends out of what they wanted Seinfeld to be. And they, they weren't wrong because to most people it's friends is the greatest show of all time. And it's the best thing ever. And it was in a much more pop mainstream way. It was bigger in some ways than Seinfeld, even though when they were both on Seinfeld was the number one show, but friends has certainly gained popularity, I think way beyond Seinfeld in most ways. Cause it's just, I think it just has a much more massive appeal. Well, the, I think that, because it is a, a lot about relationships and stuff, it really catches that female audience. And the female audience is huge in TV and film because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, go see a movie when it boils down to it. It's like, you can end up seeing what the girl wants to see. You know what I mean? It's just kind of how it is. And same thing with TV. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just kind of how it works. Nothing against yeah. it. It's just how it goes. No, I mean, it's not, not TV. That, that's why I'm single. So I can watch whatever I want. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> Independent. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, so we got these big 10 glorious episodes. Uh, if you added up all the viewers that watched all these episodes, that's how much money we want to raise for Greg's movie. So, so I'm going to put a call out there to those people. Literally, like, it'd be, if you added them all up, it'd be like a billion. In literally, yeah. I mean, the, the finale of Seinfeld had 70 million viewers. Woo! And you gotta you gotta respect that you know how they had, they stood their ground not to go too commercial that the ending of Seinfeld where like it's just you know great you know the glorious stuff like that like the Sopranos ending I really liked that a lot a lot of people didn't like it but I thought it was a great ending for the Sopranos I like the Sopranos ending I like the Seinfeld finale but very famously or infamously the Seinfeld finale is like known as one of the biggest like blunders in TV history like everybody <laughs> hates. And I don't, I don't blame them for hating it. I understand why people hate it. It was a little, it was like almost like uh, bad writing. Like it was quickly tied up at the end with like a gag instead of, but I mean, yeah, that's kind just, of the show, you know? And well, it's just that it didn't take place in the coffee shop. It didn't even take place in New York City. It used the gimmick to go and become a little bit of a clip show. Yeah. Um, and it didn't really leave you with any sort of like satisfied emotional ending, which really wasn't what the show was about because they weren't sentimental. But it didn't really leave you with any sort of feeling of like finality or anything. It just sort of like went, did this like crazy trial scenario, which again, it's really funny. There's a lot of really funny moments in the finale, but it really just doesn't like give you any closure sense of feeling of anything from the show and again like i said it just not taking place in jerry's apartment not taking place in new york not taking place in the coffee shop it just didn't feel like seinfeld anymore it felt like some sort of like weird special or something so yeah yeah. a tribute to what it used to be type deal yeah yeah you know, both of these shows, I think, are the first ones where the, the, the amount of money they were making broke it out into the public and the media because they were each, both of those shows, they were, all of them were making like a million plus an yep. episode by the end of it. Well, that was, a big, that was a big thing. There was a lot of talk about that on Seinfeld, too, because that was a big thing because there was one point in the run of the series where, uh, you know, the other three, so like, you know, where George Kramer and Elaine, 
all kind of had like a mini strike and demanded that they each make a million an episode. And uh, that was in an era where stuff like that was like totally, you know, unheard of. But the show itself was generating uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for the production company and the network and the parent companies. And so they just wanted their fair. And I mean, nowadays, this kind of stuff, especially like in sports, is very common. Yeah. And they just wanted their fair piece of the pie. Um, but it also did, like you said, it opened up this era where salaries kind of became absurd, uh, you know, like, just, yeah, they, 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 everything was doing that. But, but you know, that was, it was around the same time, you know, in 96, when Jim Carrey got paid $20 million to be in a uh, Cable Guy, which is one of my favorite movies. But the, but uh, that was the most money by far an actor had ever been paid to be in a movie before, and that caused the huge backlash as well. Uh, so it was, the '90s were sort of all about that era of breaking ground, and yeah. We were talking about Jim Carrey the other day, and I mean, there there's no other actor that I could think of that has been so all over the place. You know, the, the highs and lows. I think he's had some serious lows as well. But like, yeah. he's, he's a legend, dude. Like Jim Carrey. There's really no bigger. He's one of those. He's probably got to be one of the most five top famous people, dude. I, I'd assume. Really. I mean, definitely for people our age, uh, I would think that for people significantly younger than us and or significantly older than us, they might not feel that way. Um, but but definitely for people our age, there was no when we were kids, there was no one on the planet that was bigger than Jim Carrey. He was the whole world. Yeah, for sure. Sure, dude, for sure. Yeah. It's insanity. Yeah. And he's been able to jump genres so well, too. Jim Carrey is a super talent. He gets crazy from time to time, but he's a super talent. And that could all be a show, too, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think him and Andy Kaufman spent too much time together putting that movie together, <laughs> and now he's all fucking... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But so we'll pop into this. So the first episode up, we'll start with number 10. Um, now, the Friends episode... Uh, season five, episode 14, the one where everybody finds out. Cause I know every episode was the one where mm-hmm. it was very pre, yeah. um, always sunny in Philadelphia a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now the plot to this one is after Phoebe discovers what Rachel and Joey have known for weeks, the Monica and Chandler are dating. The girls start messing with a couple, which clues, uh, in Monica and Chandler. So they retaliate, uh, this back and forth, uh, culminates an epic game of chicken. I remember that episode slightly. All right, now, anybody else remember that episode? No, I'm going to be bad at the Friends ones, because I don't, I'm not going to know. All right, cool beans. Next up, the Seinfeld episode. Yeah. Season four, episode 20. This is when they're really starting to pick up then. Uh, Self-centered as ever, Jerry can't remember his date's name and tries everything to figure it out. Elaine's got the hot for her uh, slimmed-down ex, Roy, but the episode's title comes from an incident when Jerry and Kramer, or Jerry and Kramer, are observing Roy's surgery. Oh, this is yeah. And Kramer brought along some junior men to the snack. However, even uh, with all go- all that's going on, our favorite part is when Jerry finally realizes his lady's friend's name. Now, this was a famous episode where the junior men goes into the dude's stomach. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. classic. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Hawkman. Well, yeah. My, are we go, are we just going through the list, or should we talk? I about was gonna go. I was gonna do. I was gonna square them off those two, and then we'll just figure out which one's better of those two. Which I think gotcha. Well, I apologize because I'm wholly unfamiliar with the Friends one. Yeah, my what I can say about the, the Seinfeld one, and I mean, it's like I, I feel bad saying this too because I'm so biased, but I'm obviously gonna love all these Seinfeld episodes, but I can certainly talk about them. 
Um, I mean, one thing I love about that particular episode is that it was one of the show's first uh, forays into the like completely absurd cartoonish world. Um, The show was known for being much more grounded and sort of just like people kind of sitting in a coffee shop, like talking about their lives and stuff. And then all of a sudden they did this really bizarre heightened thing where like they, you know, a a junior man accidentally goes into the cavity of a person getting surgery done on them. And um, just the absolute absurd bizarreness of that situation, um, I think, opened the show up to a lot of other situations similar to that and allowed them to be a little bit more cartoonish in their in their style. Um, yeah. And so I always appreciated that. And, of course, it's a classic, you know, shot image from the show where you it's kind of in slow motion and you see them, like, watching the mint, you know, come down and stuff. I mean, to me, that kind of stuff is just, um, you know, it harkens back to, like, Three Stooges era Marx Brothers style, you know, comedy of just these, you know, zany situations and crazy characters. And there's actually a, there's a reference to Leopold and Loeb in that episode as well, mm-hmm. which uh, there's a running thing throughout Seinfeld where they really reference a lot of uh, really dark and macabre and like, you know, serial killers get referenced quite frequently and like a lot of the violent stuff. And um, I always thought that was part of kind of the amazing subversiveness of that show is that they'll, they'll throw in like a BTK reference or something at some point and it's like, Oh, what was that? So yeah. Yeah. Alex, you remember this one? Oh, uh, were you talking about the Seinfeld or Sein- the uh, friends? Oh, did I, I didn't ask you about the friend one. My bad. Did you see the friend one? Um, the friend one, I probably did. I uh, have to admit, I'm not clicking on the episode mentally on it. Um, let's see. But I mean, what I do remember about uh, whether it was this one or others, especially when it came to the whole um, Chandler Bing and Monica Geller uh, relationship, yeah, was uh, probably the best thing that happened to friends in my opinion was the fact of putting those two together um it's funny because in in that world and all that with all the possible um uh, you know hookups and you know the whole ross and rachel thing and all that the only relationship that i actually got behind in friends was the the Chandler and Monica relationship because that was the only one that I thought actually felt real. I could not get behind Ross and Rachel because it felt too much of the hot cheerleader and the geeky nerd. Will they or won't they become together and all that, which I enjoy both, uh, both actors. I think they did a fine job with the comedy they had and, and all that. But I'm sorry, reality, those two would never end up together mm. ever. Now, yeah. now Monica and Chandler, that was a relationship I could get behind. I could see that actually happen. And like I said, I'm not specifically clicking on this uh, episode, but I definitely uh, have to say that, any episode that dealt with the whole, you know, Monica and Chandler trying to hide their relationship and and people, some people knew, others didn't. Of course, Ross is like the last one to find out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I always enjoyed those because, you know, I thought that uh, Matthew Perry and um, and uh, again, who played uh, Courtney Cox. Okay, I thought the two of them actually had great chemistry together. So, so when those two ended up together, I and the whole whole relation, little cat and mouse. I always enjoyed those episodes. And this sounds like it was one of those episodes I would have really enjoyed. Now, going to the Seinfeld, I don't remember watching that one. Um, I, de- I definitely can uh, I can see going off um, <laughs> that, that, that Seinfeld style of humor and all that. The I do remember listening uh, and, and hearing about this episode, even though I don't think I've actually watched it. Yeah. About the junior men being, you know, sewn up in the in the cavity, which sounds like a a fun and, and definitely a very uh, typical Seinfeld episode. But of course, like I said, I really didn't get into Seinfeld. I respected what they were trying to do and their humor, but the humor didn't really speak to me. So, um, okay. I mean, of course, I'm going to have to lean a little towards Friends. I'm going to probably lean mostly towards Friends than Seinfeld. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that because there's not going to be too much leaning in that direction. I feel. Okay, okay. I'm I'm here supporting Friends. You guys support Seinfeld. We'll duke it out. (laughs) I remember the 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 Ross and Phoebe characters never really sit well with me. I was never really a big fan of those two. Well, I mean, I mean, I I enjoyed Phoebe. I mean, it was funny because there was a whole thing where Lisa Kudrow said in the beginning that producers actually were like, "Why the heck do we have this character Phoebe in this? It doesn't make sense. He doesn't fit with the other group." She's the side. She's. I mean, she's supposed to be the Kramer of the group. Well, yeah, but uh, but uh, in in the beginning, the producers didn't see that. But but the thing is, I always enjoyed Phoebe because, yeah. I mean, for the simple fact that, I mean, we've all had a whole bunch of friends through our lives, whether we're talking about high school, grade school, you know, college, so forth, adult life. And we always have that one friend that we're friends with them, uh, but they don't seem to fit like with all of our other friends. Mm. And that's why I always thought, Phoebe worked because there's always going to be that one friend that you end up becoming friends with, even though there's not a lot of like, you know, it's like they like rock and roll. You like blues. They like, you know, they're, they're, they're more of a hippie lifestyle. You're more Republican. You know, you always have that one person that is almost like you total opposite of yours, but you're still friends with them. And that's where I always felt Phoebe felt, uh, fell in, in, in the relationship. We got so, nine more episodes, keep in mind, Alex. <laughs> I just wanted to make note. I just wanted to make note. Yeah, uh, in other words, you're saying I'm talking too much. Thank, never, thank never that. See, 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 this is why we, we love this relationship. Never that. Because, you know, <laughs> I, I, I talk too much, and so you shoot me now. Boy, David Schwimmer would later be on uh, a couple episodes of um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, I remember. So there'd be a little... Yeah, he was great. Yeah, he's great. That. No crossover. No crossover situation. All right, so next up, we have the one where Ross got high. 
Number 11. Scandalous. Scandalous, dude. Monica and Chandler are hosting Thanksgiving, but it turns out that Jack and Judy Geller, Elliot Gould and Christina Pickles, hate Chandler, Ross, and Joey, and want to bail so they can go to a party with supermodels, and Rachel screws up the dessert. (laughs) You know, I just want to say that, and I know we have like a lot more episodes to go and stuff, like, it's funny to me just when you describe the episodes. Yeah. The descriptions of, like, if you say there's an episode of television where a junior mint goes into an open wound of a guy getting surgery done versus, yeah. like, they screw up dinner and the in-laws don't like it. Like, it, the, just, just, just based on just the descriptions alone, if I didn't know the shows, it just feels like one of them is going for comedy and the other one is going for, like, you know universal drama main you know like it, it's very safe it's like, yeah Relating yeah so material. i just I, I get that sense right away because i'm not super familiar with these friends episodes but the descriptions just don't even sound like anything <laughs> you know like it just that could be any show it could be well it's more that's you know it's more it's a real i think uh friends was trying to be more relatable you know they were they want each friend yeah. to be somebody you knew i think like what alex was saying and it's uh Seinfeld's more of you're entering a different world in a way. You're stepping into a different, you know, a dimension. The Seinfeld dimension, yeah. almost. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. That one, I, I, I can, I can smile at it because Ross gets high on weed. That makes me laugh. <laughs> um, and that, that has to battle up with the Bubble Boy. Okay. <laughs> now, yeah, yeah. season four, episode seven. After learning of his illness. Uh, Jerry begrudgingly agrees to visit one of his fans on his way to a cabin with Elaine, George, and Susan. But Jerry gets lost. Hijinks ensue as he and Elaine stop at a diner and give another fan a signed picture while George plays an ill-fated game of trivial pursuit with a bubble boy. Uh, And where's Kramer? Oh, just burning down the cabin. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, look. The casting of the Bubble Boy's voice where he's, like, the craziest, like, crudest, like, meanest person is, like, the greatest thing ever. Because, you know, so you take this classic thing of, like, this very sympathetic, like, character. Yeah. And then, like, he's just, like, a huge asshole. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. I mean, he literally looks at Susan and he's like, why don't you take your top off? You know, it's like he's all, like, crude and stuff. I vaguely remember this one. This one's a little fuzzy in my head and i've seen them all but for some reason this one's fuzzy for me this is the famous thing where the the trivial pursuit card has the misprint on it so instead of the moors it's the moops <laughs> yes it's the shows are like they're like big stand-up bits you know what i mean yeah yeah i yeah. think that the the, the right, so the bubble boy versus ross gets high <laughs> That's a good one. I almost want to be I, in, in, you know, I almost want to go against the grain of Seinfeld to keep things more interesting in the numbers. You know what I mean? Do it. So with that being said, oh I will my give God, one come to friends. To my side. Come to my side. I will give, I will give one to friends to keep things interesting. And uh, where do you guys fall? Greg, where do you fall in this one? Well, yeah, I think you know what I have to say. All right. So we got another three <laughs> yeah. of Seinfeld. Yeah, <laughs> Alexander. Well, I mean, again, uh, I vaguely remember this—the uh, uh, the uh, where Ross gets high, and uh, 
with um, the Bubble Boy. That's another one I did not uh, did not see. Um, just uh, boiling down from what I know of both of them, because while I didn't see a lot of these, uh, I had, I mean, I had friends that were like death fans of both, so I would hear bits, you know, comic uh, parts about each each episode. Um, now I. Mean, I'm I'm going to have to go with, of course, uh, good old friends on this. Uh, first of all, because I mean, uh, just the idea within itself, uh, a David Swimmer's Ross getting high—that that's comedy gold right there. Uh, secondly, you had uh, Elliot Gould and Christina Pickles as the uh, the uh, uh, parents, uh, Gellis. Every time they were on set, it was great. I mean, it's they were like the ideal parents that you know they they always favor one kid over the other, even though they claim they didn't. But it's so obvious that you know they 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 uh, were more fans of Ross than uh, of their of their daughter Monica, and Monica always was trying to impress them and all that. So the fact that Ross gets high and might uh, tarnish uh, himself in front of his parents within itself, I think, is, is, is funny within itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see the Bubble Boy one. I, I did see uh, Bubble Boy with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, that's the only Bubble Boy I have. $500! <laughs> that's the best part of that movie. Yeah. But uh, glancing over there, it does get a point from me for the simple fact that Brian Doyle Murray was in it, and I, I always think that he's so underrated as as an actor. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I I love Bill Murray, but I think Brian Doyle Murray is is as talented, if not more than than Bill. Unfortunately, but the younger one, more. yeah, but the God yeah, Bless America one. Yeah, Bill gets uh, more of the accolades. Brian always gets the smaller roles. I mean, he pops up here and there. But uh, out of the, wow. I think there's a total of three brothers of the Murrays. I think there's one older than Bill and then younger. Now, you're yeah. talking about the one from God Bless America, right? Um, the Bobcat Goldie. I mean, Brian Doyle Murray, he's like, in uh, Groundhog Day, he plays, like, the mayor of Punxsutawney and stuff. Like, he, he pops up all the time. He's he's in Caddyshack. He plays the guy that's, like, the owner of the, like, concession stand stuff. Yeah. He's the one that's, like, pick up that blood. He's the older uh, He's the owner of the dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think he's the older one. The one in... Um, is he in God Christmas God, Vacation? Okay. Does he play, like, the boss in Christmas Vacation? That uh, Chevy Chase's Christmas vacation, yeah, yeah I think guy, so. The guy who doesn't give him the the Christmas bonus, and yeah. they bring him, I'm they bring sure him to the house. Him, I think yeah, because yeah, he's got a younger brother, like a really younger brother. Then there's Bill. There might even be four of them. Then there's Bill. Then there's like an older looking one that always looked older than Bill. And that's what yeah. you are talking about, I think. Yeah, Brian Joel Murray, mm-hmm. he's the one who always looks older than Bill. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Like I said, um, I, I'm going to go with friends just for the fact of Ross getting high. All right, fair enough. You take, you're taking a page out of my book. That's why I gave it to him. But I had to give him at least one. I felt I don't feel a lot coming this <laughs> way. All right, uh, next up, the one with all the Thanksgivings, season five, episode eight. 
Uh, the plot after a particularly filling meal, everyone sits around reminiscing about their worst Thanksgivings. I always like episodes like this where it's kind of the worst of, you know, it's just a bunch of like almost skits of terrible situations that have happened. Um, so we'll have to see what, what Seinfeld episode competes with. But do you guys remember this episode at all? No. Like I said, I'm going to be bad at this. I don't really, unless you okay. bring up like the pivot thing and the duck thing, I don't really know anything about friends. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm with you. Yeah. All right, and then the Seinfeld episode, number eight, the limo, very uh, famous one. We, I think we interviewed, um, yeah. was it our boy in the limo episode from Boone? Yeah, yeah. Jeremy Roberts. He Jeremy was Roberts was boy. the limo driver, yeah. You know, at, so I guess I got to pick that one right off the bat. Um, as, a risky and edgy, as, as risky and edgy today as it was when it premiered in 1992, this episode seems... Um. Riskier today, much riskier today. I agree today. with that completely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Pretending to be a man named O'Brien, so he and Jerry can snag a limo ride home from the airport. Yada yada yada. Turns out to be. Uh, turns out O'Brien is high-profile neo-Nazi who's supposed to be on his way to give a speech near Madison Square Garden. Guns rioting and George's screams follow. So Larry Charles, who very famously went on to direct uh, Borat. And yeah. uh, has directed some really kind of subversive uh, comedies in the last like twenty years. Was a started as a writer on Seinfeld. He's a friend of Larry David, and he's your classic guy that you know always had like a big, crazy, huge beard and super yeah. long hair, and was just sort of like had like a crazy, like you know, um, like punk hippie communist you know vibe to him. He's, so he's anything TV's in Seinfeld. He's TV is he's Rick Rubin. He's the Rick Rubin of the yeah, film. Exa- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So anything in Seinfeld that dealt with like extreme violence, like there's one scene where Jerry is like in a fantasy sequence and he gets like shot a bunch of times by a bunch of <laughs> FBI agents and stuff. Uh, anything that dealt with like serial killers and just extreme violence or like communism or Nazism and stuff. That was always Larry Charles. And that's a classic. That episode is still, like I said, today it is much edgier today. There was, there's no way any show would do anything like that today. Yeah. Um, at the time in the nineties when they did it, thankfully, I guess, and or whatever, however you want to say it, you know, fascism and Nazism was like, much more on the fringes than it yeah. is now in our sort of post-Trump era, which is very back. unfortunate, of course. But, uh, gosh, no, I mean, what an amazingly, not only hilarious, but just also, like, uh, darkly twisted, uh, crazy episode. To, to imagine something like that on primetime NBC, you know, sitcom material where there's literally, like, neo-Nazis with guns, like, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's being dealt like like and took and you know spoken about in a light way instead of like you know a villainous yeah. way. You'll see villainous way, but where it's a fluffy kind of you know you know yeah, yeah. you're not going to see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Alex, uh, you give one to your friends, or are you going to hook up the Seinfeld team? Well, you know what? balls I'm, to the wall I'm, attitude. I'm 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 going I'm going to since you gave one to friends. Oh boy. <laughs> I think I'm going to share the uh, the the uh, wealth and give this one to the limo. Woo! Um, because it is one of the few Seinfeld ones I have seen. Yeah. And um, I have to admit, I mean, going back with uh, what um, uh, Greg said that uh, um, with with the descriptions in the different ones, 
you don't, I mean, when it comes to Seinfeld, you have a bad idea of clicking, oh, that's that episode, that's this episode. With the French one, is so a lot of these descriptions are so generic that I probably watched it and enjoyed it, but without having like specific scenes to like you know click in on, I no. I can't remember uh, which ones which. Um, I mean, the the thing I would say about uh, the one with all the Thanksgivings is look at the cast list. You had Morgan Fairchild. Now, she always uh, showed up as Nora Tyler Bing, um, the mother of, of uh, Chandler Bing. Yeah. And she's always hilarious. I always enjoyed whenever she was on, on. And, of course, you had Ellie Gould and Christina Pickles again as the Gellers. Ellie and, Gould just passed away, too, rest in peace, like last yeah. year. I mean, when, when you ha- what I always liked about the Friends episodes with the parents is – it helped explain, you know, the the insanity of of their kids. It's like, yeah. okay, I mean, I can understand why Monica is her way. I can understand why Chandler Bing's his way. Looking at, you know, I mean, the characters' parents in this, which I mean, as as people ourselves, I mean, we got friends, and we're like, why why is he a little, you know, off? And then you meet his parents, like, well. Of course, that's why he's off. His parents are nuts. There you go. Um, but I am going with a limo for the fact that two things. One, it was uh, one of those episodes that I definitely did think pushed the boundaries, and that's something that nowadays people are too scared to do. Um, you can argue it's bad taste. You can argue that, you know, this isn't something to either laugh about or, you know, or point, or, or, or look at as as something to be comic, uh, you know, used as comedy. But I mean, the whole fact of comedy is to pull down people like these and show how ridiculous they are. Right. So, and second, as Matt said, we uh, interviewed our, our boy Jeremy Roberts. Who was the chauffeur in in this? And uh, even though I mean, you only saw his eyes; you didn't see anything else of him. All you needed to see—that's how good. That's he all you needed to do. That's and, awesome. And Jeremy did a great job with it. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm going to give Seinfeld on this one. Oh, so <laughs> Seinfeld swept that one. That's nice. Nice. <laughs> all right, it's looking good. Better and better for him each second. All right, next up. Uh, Friends, the one with the embryos, season four, episode 12. Uh, while Phoebe is at the fertility clinic attempting to be artificially inseminated, I remember this episode, Joey and Chandler, Monica and Rachel are squaring off uh, in a Ross-created trivia game to see which gender knows more about the other, and the girl's apartment is at stake. I remember this episode, actually. Um, and that squares off with the Hamptons from Seinfeld. Uh, this episode changed the meaning of the world shrinkage. While in the Hamptons, Ham- uh, Hamptons to visit their friends, uh, breathtaking newborn. Is this the ugly baby one too? Mm-hmm. Uh, shit, they just took it for the ugly baby, dude. The face that <laughs> Kramer gives when he sees the baby like wins the whole thing for me. <laughs> Jerry, Elaine, and Kramer see George's new girlfriend, Topless. Elaine's confused by the cute doctor's choice of words. Kramer's arrested for poaching lobsters, and George is caught with his pants down. 
It's classic, comical, and it spawned a catchphrase. What more could you want? It did spawn that catchphrase. I got to give it that, too. And I, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm forgetting her name, and maybe you have her there, but the topless woman was uh, P.T. Anderson uh, mainstay. She was in Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Okay. She, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will, I'll have to admit, uh, I mean, obviously, I picked the front or the Seinfeld episode, of course, but uh, <laughs> I have to admit that for the Friends episode, um, I do vaguely remember this one, and I will say that I did find it uh, when after I've softened myself and was with my wife and stuff. I I did find it cute and amusing when the sort of gang of them would kind of get together and play some sort of like game or something. Yeah. Um, you know, they always tried to sort of add some little bit of stakes to it. You mentioned that the apartment was like up for, for whatever the stakes were for the game or whatever. I, I thought stuff like that, that they were able to do something cute with it. And I, and I will admit that, um, you know, like I, I going back to Norm MacDonald, like one time I heard Norm MacDonald was ta- also talking about friends and he was like, you know, just, he was just, he's basically talking about how much he hates handsome people and how he, <laughs> they just bother him. But then he was saying that, you know, well, yeah, but, but I mean, it, the, you know, those actors on Friends, they at least found like the funniest handsome people that they could find. Um, and I, I'll, I'll give them that as well. I mean, they, you know, it's like they, the, there's, there's no denying that whether I like Friends or not or whatever, that the cast, all six of them are in, incredibly talented. I, I, I would never take that away from them, and they're, they're truly brilliant actors like I, I and i give them that so i will give it some credit for a scene or a premise in an episode that i think was probably very cute and, and funny of this whole sort of parlor game thing that and i can kind of picture it in you know in the apartment there uh but no gosh i mean shrinkage i mean that's like you know when, whenever you add a word to our lexicon i mean that's uh then you know seinfeld has kind of did that a few times uh but that was, that's, I mean, God, that's like a, you know, what a classic episode. Yeah, that's amazing. Sure. Alex. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to have to definitely go with, uh, with the trying to friends on this one, because mm. I do remember, it's funny. I remember definitely the competition. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I don't remember that much of the subplot with Phoebe. Um, I do. but I, I do have to say, I remember that, you know, you got, uh, you got Rachel and Monica, you know, uh, trying to show that they know more about Chandler and Joey than they know of them. And of course they lose. And it's hilarious because they, they put their apartments up and of course Chandler and Joey are so adamant about switching the apartments because I mean, uh, Monica's apartment is, of course, a lot bigger and and better than theirs, and that was a really funny episode. And of course, you had Ross as the uh, as as the you know trivia um, host during during the competition, yeah. which was hilarious. I remember um, it being funny for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah, I mean, I think the my favorite part in that was the fact that. They did not know what was Chandler Bing's job, mm. which is funny because I don't think anyone knows what Chandler Bing's job, other than he wears a suit and he actually goes to a job. A cocaine um, high, high class. Now, uh, looking at uh, the uh, 
the Seinfeld one, the uh, one in uh, in the Hamptons. Now, I don't remember this episode so much, uh, and I'm glancing at the IMDb page. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't see this one. Uh, I do want to make a little uh, comment since I am a huge Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan mm-hmm. that uh, Melani Smith, uh, who uh, played uh, Rachel Goldstein in this uh, episode, uh, played uh, Gold Ducat's daughter on Deep Space Nine. Uh, she's an actress that is very talented, but I have to admit, I have not seen her in a lot of stuff. So, yeah. Like I said, haven't seen, but I just wanted to make that little connection for the simple fact that it's it's great to see actors and actresses that I think are very talented when they also do other stuff. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, a lot a lot of talented uh, people, you know, only do a few things and then you never see them again. And uh, yeah, other than Deep Space Nine, and now of course this episode, um, yeah, it's the only ended up having thirty credits. But, a good amount uh, of credits, though. Also, oh, a curb yeah. episode. She was in a curb episode too. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said. I'm so I'm definitely have to go with friends on this one. I and mean, you can't beat uh the uh the, the battle of the sexes between well, uh, between them. I remember and I like you can't you can beat it unfortunately, I think. Because I like <laughs> it was a funny episode, but it can't it can't square off with both shrinkage and ugly baby face. Just can't do it. I don't think so. But the Hawkman knows. He knows everything. But we got number six, friends. The one with the dollhouse, season three, episode 20. Monica inherits a dollhouse from her dead aunt, but doesn't play well with others. Causing Phoebe to build her own dream dollhouse, Chandler goes on a terrible date with Rachel's boss, but can't bring himself to dump her. Was the dollhouse haunted for some reason or something like that? No, no, no. Episode? Uh, no, I, I remember the episode. Um, I don't believe it was haunted. I mean, I would have got more points for me if it was. <laughs> Ooh, you should have lied, hockey. Should have lied. Okay, uh, it was haunted. Oh no, it was. It was haunted by me. I believe that. Okay. All right. Um, and that squares off against the boyfriend, season three, episodes seventeen through eighteen, two parter. Jerry strikes up a bromance with Keith Hernandez. But gets jealous. This is another classic. But what gets jealous when his idol starts dating Elaine. Kramer and Newman won't shut up about their hatred of the Met star, which culminates in a perfect JFK style explanation. But our fave quote of the two parter comes in George's storyline after lying to the unemployment agency about his job prospects with Vandalay Industries. George is caught with his pants down again. Is that what he was sleeping with the the maid under his desk? No. So he um. His uh, his social worker, whatever you call it, his uh, unemployment officer, loves the Mets, and he's trying to convince her that he works for Vandalay Industries, the made-up company. Yeah. And he gives Jerry's number as the phone okay. number, and he rushes home, rushes to Jerry's to try to like tell him that when you answer the phone, you have to say Vandalay Industries, like when you answer your own phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. I remember like the, the 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 Keith Hernandez part of the story with the the reenacted JFK style thing where he spits mm-hmm. on the back of the Kramer's neck. Yeah. I think it is. 
Yeah. I got, I got to give it to it just for that because I always, that made me laugh. I remember that made me laugh out loud when I heard that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I love the, I mean, I don't believe in the conspiracy, but I love the Oliver Stone movie so much and they do a perfect, you know, like he, Jerry does like a perfect Kevin Costner where he's like reenacting the, where the, he actually calls it a magic loogie instead of a magic yeah. bullet, <laughs> which is yeah. great. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, look, the Keith Hernandez stuff, I mean, I, you know, whether you're a baseball player or not, it was always fun, I felt, when Seinfeld would do these baseball things, and they brought on Keith Hernandez, who honestly is a, is an, was an amazing actor on the show, and has continued to embrace, uh, even to this day, his sort of Seinfeld uh, role, and people still recognize him from that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, hey man, like, yeah, I'm not a baseball guy, this was the year I was born, but dude, the 86 Mets, I mean, what a classic... Uh, piece of history right i mean that was yeah so of course yeah i, I will say I, I i mean i i uh i love dollhouses i don't i'm not saying that facetiously i think yeah. they're interesting um i have done a lot of stop motion animation and i always felt like dollhouses were the perfect um setting to to do some stuff with that you know i mean i i like uh lena dunham's film tiny furniture uh, I like uh, dollhouse props and tiny furniture. I think it's just neat to to look at. I like that kind of stuff, um, and that's uh, that sounds like a clever uh, episode of Friends. But I mean, gosh, you know, you can't. I mean, you know, Keith Hernandez. You know, it's like, you know the '86 Mets. You can't. You, know, you can't. You can't uh, go against the '86 Mets. I feel like this is probably around the time that Oliver Stone movie came out too. So they're probably like spoofing that a little bit. Yeah, it was a, it was like probably a year or two after it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the 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 assassination itself will never go away. I mean, that'll always be subject matter for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think we got you down for another Seinfeld. I took a Seinfeld yeah. on that. Hawk. Yeah. Would Would you go for on that? Did you? Well, um, since since uh, I I keep on getting the feeling that old friends is going to lose, but. I'm always one for an underdog over here. So, I mean, I, I go with the dollhouse uh, because I remember it was, I mean, as, as you guys uh, might uh, remember or not, it, it was great for the simple fact that the whole Monica character is he's extremely, you know, um, controlling. Yeah. And, and all of that. And then you got Phoebe who is like, you know, you know, anything go, you know, try try do, you know, kooky things. Mm. You know, she's the Kramer of the group as 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 was said earlier. And I remember in this episode, uh, you know, Monica's so excited, she has this dollhouse and and of course he wants to, you know, play with it with her friend Phoebe. But, you know, now with uh, Monica, uh, Monica, she you know has the right size dolls or the right size furniture and all that, and and everything has to be put in this right place. And then you have Phoebe who like she comes in and she like has a uh, statue of a dog which is like bigger than the house itself. Like oh, this could be the dog that's you know in the house, and and of course you know things with different sizes and things that don't naturally fit in the dollhouse and of course Monica is getting all you know uptight and nervous like no no uh, how about this how about we you know leave this over here and you know she wants she wants to bring her friend to play in the dollhouse the way she wants to play in the dollhouse and 
the whole point with Phoebe is the fact is that you know she she is a a person that has a very different sensibility, different sense of what's fun or what to do. So so it's it's fun with those two relationships where they are really good friends, but you sit back and you're like, why are they friends? They're so different. I mean, and and it's it's funny because yeah, Monica who wants to you know play in the dollhouse with her friend, but her friend doesn't want to play with the dollhouse in her rules. Which you know, if you ever got that cool little playset, you know, for Christmas and you bring a friend over and like, oh look, I got you know uh, uh, Castle Grayskull. And you know, want to play with this, and you have your Grayskull characters, and and they come in with like uh, Ghostbusters or something else, and you're like, well, they don't fit here. Like, why not? Why can't I have Peter Venkman, you know, go in and 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 zap uh, Skeletor? Hmm. I mean, it's I'd like to see that. It, yeah, yeah, and that that that's that was a lot of fun. I like that on that one. Okay. Um, yeah, I the, like that. That's a, that's a, that sounds that sounds fun and uh, that sounds good. I I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, I didn't see the Seinfeld episode, but I will give it a little credit because there's only one person, okay, in the Seinfeld universe that I enjoyed. I didn't enjoy his character. I enjoyed the actor a lot, and I thought he played such a devilish character that. You know, I I just love, and that was Wayne Knight as Newman. I mean, if it was a Newman episode that was on, I could care less about what was going on. Jerry could die, I couldn't care. Kramer could die, Elaine, all of them. But if Wayne Knight was there as Newman, he was he was a reason for me to watch because <laughs> it was like Newman, and and he played just a great. Devilish character that, and and of course it was obvious that Wayne was having so much fun with the role. That's why he's that, so good because he's such a he, he's so fun because he's such a miserable person. And I think everybody yeah. kind of knows that type of person that just uh, they're so miserable they want to try and like ruin everything for you too. Type deal. Well, I mean, it's kind of funny because if you sit down and think about it, Seinfeld, is full of pretty much miserable, you know, people that. Don't know they are very selfish and all that, but Newman was kind of the like supposed to be like I guess the the almost villain or the bad guy guy that shows up and and you know is always at odds with Jerry, which is why I liked him because it was here you have an episode uh, you have a series with people that you're not really supposed to like, and then you bring in someone that they don't like. That makes him likable. Yeah. Makes him, in my in my opinion, the hero. Newman's the hero of Seinfeld because wow. he's giving Jerry shit. Groundbreaking, and that that's that's what I liked because I love it. I, I, I really couldn't I really couldn't get behind Jerry, and I was a big fan of Jerry. But you got every time he says Newman, I was like, okay, good. Jerry's going to get some shit. I'm sitting back. I'm grabbing some popcorn. Let's see what happens. Yeah, love it. Well, very famously, Spielberg was a huge uh, fan of Seinfeld, and obviously that's how Newman was cast in Jurassic Park. And yeah. there's actually a famous story about how when um, 
when Spielberg was shooting uh, Schindler's List. Uh, this was before the era of DVD and all that streaming stuff. So uh, Spielberg called the head of NBC and ordered uh, copies of all the VHS tapes of every show that had, had they had done by that point so he could watch them in his trailer uh, that night to relax every night after shooting Schindler's List, which was really, like, dark material. Um, uh, Wayne Knight, obviously amazing in uh, Gus Van Zandt's To Die For, um, Paul Verhoeven's uh, Basic Instinct, um, tons of other stuff. Um, I believe he's actually in JFK as well, I think. I think he is, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, brilliant actor. He's obviously also on Third Rock from the Sun and some other shows. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I can get behind all that. Newman, you know, Newman character always also reminded me so much of, um, who's the heavy set character in, uh, Pee-wee, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I knew you were going there, dude. I knew you were going to go there too. Uh, Francis. Francis. Yeah. Francis. Well, yeah. yeah. Because the, if, you know, if you look at these things as like you kind of said before, man, that like, you know, we're in this sort of alternate cartoon reality when we're in Seinfeld and it's very much a cartoon then like Newman was always sort of the you know the 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 bully kid down the block that was just sort of the nemesis of the main character for no real real reason um and yeah that was always a fun that was I, I Newman's one of my favorite things as well so yeah it's one of my favorite I love that stuff Newman's good I, I was more of a Newman guy whenever I seen him I was like uh I, I knew trouble was coming, and I know the time. Exactly. I know the time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. next up, uh, Friends, the one where no one's ready, season three, episode dose. Uh, Ross has less than thirty minutes to get everyone dressed and out of the door to attend a museum benefit. I vaguely remember this one. Um, not, it ain't looking too good for. It, let's just say that. And that's I don't remember it well, but I have to say it. It's funny enough that that almost sounds like a very Seinfeldian uh, description. Like I can imagine Elaine, you know, needing the three boys to be ready for some event that they're all supposed to go to, and they're like not ready. I can imagine that being a thing. To go to a movie. I could see that hasn't wasn't that an episode where where one of them was trying to get them all to a movie on time. Yeah, there's there is one that's like somewhat like that for sure. There, yeah, there, and there's there's yeah, there's been some things of like trying to get to a dinner party, trying to get to someone's house, and you can't. You know, you're having all these obstacles in the way. Yeah, for sure. So that squares off with the Chinese restaurant of season two, episode <laughs> eleven. A simple con- concept change uh, changed how sitcoms were written, but it was an, another groundbreaking thing. It's it's not looking good for Friends, but it was initially rejected by the NBC brass. Jerry yeah. Ford. Yeah, Jerry, they stopped uh, for dinner on their way to a movie, and that's it. If any episode proves Seinfeld is a show about nothing, it's this one. Uh, sure, there are shenanigans, but similar to the later episode, the parking garage, the crew end up essentially in the in the same place as they were in the beginning. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the parking garage one because I always thought, that the, I mean, obviously those episodes are similar. I always thought that the parking garage one even further than the Chinese food episode one, that the restaurant one that we're talking about, the parking garage one to me always felt like if you really wanted to kind of get wild with your thinking on it, it really could be like a metaphor for like purgatory or like hell or something yeah. like where they're just lost in this parking garage, but they're really lost in this, like some kind of oblivion that they're just searching for stuff. And I always thought that Seinfeld, Seinfeld did have, some room wiggle room in some of its themes and episodes to put you in a much deeper, like philosophical place. Uh, there's a few times where they sort of start going to these places and, and touch on those things. Now it's not, 
in the specific text of the episode itself, but it's, it, it, it is metaphorically underneath. But yes, the Chinese food one, again, you said this, but very famously, um, the, the network NBC did not want to air the episode. They had to fight to get it on the air. And it was really one of the first, it's, it's in season two, as I think, as you mentioned, and it's one of these early episodes that pre, uh, season four, the contest, that really showed that the show was uh, had the guts to do something completely different, uh, had the guts to to be um, just groundbreaking in its form. Um, you know, again, the entire episode is just in real time, and it's just twenty two minutes of them waiting for a table at a Chinese restaurant, and somehow within that space, um, enough truly funny things happen. Enough, uh, there's enough. Uh, meat on that bone to make a truly brilliant episode of television that's actually t- totally timeless and totally uh, engaging and really funny so yeah so to be f- to keep things interesting i think with this one i'm actually gonna give friends a point for this one. Mm. only yeah. because nothing stands out it, it, you know it's it's very groundbreaking and i have the utmost respect for that <clears throat> but nothing really uh, none of the ga- like gags or anything like that popped out to me so, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to give one to friends for that one, just to keep things interesting. But Greg is a Seinfeld man. <laughs> and Alexander, what, what type of man are you? Uh, well, I, uh, okay, let's first talk about uh, the friends one. Okay. Now, I do remember this vaguely. I mean, what I... It's it's funny because I mean nowadays you go on YouTube or Facebook and you have like different clips from every episode of Friends popping up nowadays, mm. and the classic scene from this one that always pops up is um, Chandler and Joey have an argument, and and uh, I. I I I think the whole thing is like Chandler took something from Joey, or, uh, and of course, uh, Joey made a uh, made a comment that uh, he was going to um, get him back for that. And I think I think what happened was actually Chandler like stole his underwear or something stupid like that, and and he was like. You know, I'm going to do something to you to get back at you. I'm I'm going to do opposite of what you did. And he was like, what's that? He says, opposite is opposite. He leaves. He comes in. He's dressed in all of Chandler's clothes at the same time. And, and of course, and, and, and he's like, you know, you took everything that I own. I took everything that uh, I'm wearing, everything that you have owned. And. And Chandler's like, that is not the opposite of what I did. And and then and uh, Joey says, oh, yeah? Not only that, I'm not wearing any underwear. And he starts doing lunges, so he starts, you know, sweat more in, in Chandler's clothes. That was a funny bit. That was the only thing I have to say that's memorable from that episode that's coming to my mind. Mm. Um, and and uh yeah i mean that's that's how how it is with that now the Seinfeld uh one with the restaurant if i remember correctly in the end they never get a table mm-hmm. yeah yeah i did see i did see that episode and and the fact is not only that was 
the the brilliance of that episode is the simple fact that they don't get the table. It's like with the, the, the car thing where the car doesn't start. Those two episodes, honestly, in my opinion, is the best Seinfeld episodes that don't have Newman. <laughs> <laughs> and um and that 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 fact of you know they they missed the uh the uh movie and also they don't even get a table which is genius plus you one know, one little note from that too by the way uh does anybody know what movie that they are going to see in the theater that they're uh, planning to see plan 9 from outer space yeah Nice. Which I think should Matt that should give some points back on your end because gosh I mean for a sitcom in the in of that era you know in prime time to be making Plan Nine from Outer Space references that's pretty I big. Agree. Yeah. I well, agree completely. Well, put it this way, okay? Since Matt did me a solid, finally going with Friends, I'll do a solid and finally go with Seinfeld on this one. You, you did. Right. You said that the last time I went. Nice. To. So what are you talking about? This is the second time. <laughs> All right, I so, think it's going to be pretty even by the end of this thing. Yeah. I, well, that's what I, we're hoping for. A good. I'm trying to. We're getting up close, real close. To yeah. Be fun. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, plus also, I mean, uh, one other point that James Hong is great. And yeah, oh, definitely. Another, uh, another plus in the column for Seinfeld on this one. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I give that too. That's nice. All right. Next up, we have. Uh, friends, the one with the prom video, season two, episode 14. A newly employed Joey thanks Chandler for years of fronting rent and coffee bills with a gaudy gold bracelet. It reads, Best Buds. While Monica attempts to get a new job and Rachel draws a line in the sand when it comes to dating Ross. I, That's so vague. I don't. Yeah, I don't. What, line, what, what line in the sand? I don't know what that means. Yeah, and like, I mean the prom video. The only thing it's nothing about a prom video, but there's a picture that looks like they 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 dressed up like it was the seventies, and which I appreciate that in shows when they kind of go back in time like that. Sure. Uh, all right, so that one squares off with the Marine Biologist, season five, episode fourteen, a favorite of Seinfeld himself. This episode has George pretending to be a marine biologist. This is when uh, at the end there's like the the the, the, the big the dolphin or whale washes up on the shore and mm-hmm. they're like, can somebody help this? And he like runs away because he lied. Elaine fighting an angry Russian author who uh, likes throwing stuff out windows and Kramer playing golf at the beach. Classic. Ridiculous. Obviously, but it proves the show can take any concept, no matter how silly, and make it funny. But we got to say, the greatest payoff in this episode is the George's closing monologue. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think that, so there's all these, like, references to, like, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and stuff in the, in the Elaine story. And I think, and also, uh, what is it, um, the woman from uh, Taxi, or what, the, the, you're talking about right yeah he's right so she's great you know she's she's in it and stuff um you know i think that stuff is brilliant but i think it's overshadowed uh by um what uh, what i will say is the greatest uh ending to any seinfeld episode which is the the george's speech and the reveal with the golf ball it just gets the most um explosive laughter and it's also the probably their best uh, 
moment of having everything like interlock perfectly so that you get this perfect punctuation at at the end. Um, so yeah, we'll go into the speed round for the final. Okay, three, for the final three. All right, uh, what'd you guys vote for that? Seinfeld and I. Seinfeld. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Hawkman. What'd you have for that one? Well, for me, this is the first time I gotta say both of them are extremely neck and neck. Yeah. Uh, both of them. Uh, the Seinfeld one. I mean, you got the uh, monologue at the end, which is great with the tying into uh, Kramer's golf ball being the thing in the blowhole. I mean, that within itself is friggin', you know, comedy gold. But with the Friends, the prom one, it's the only one with an emotional uh, payout at the end. Yeah. Which is the fact that the whole prom video is they're watching it. And this is, you know, back when they were, you know, in college and it shows that uh, Rachel's uh, prom date isn't showing up and, and and she thinks that he's going to stand her up and she's upset and all that. And of course, Ross is always in love with her and, and his parents actually suggest to him to go get dressed up, come down, because he wasn't going to the prom anyway. But yeah. to have him dress up, come down, and take Rachel instead of the guy who was standing her up. Yeah. So you have Ross, you know, doing that. And of course, they're watching this in modern time at that time. And Ross knows how it's going to end. So he's trying to stop them from watching the end of the video. Because at the end of the video, the guy shows up, leaves with Rachel, and it ends on Ross heartbroken. Totally. I mean, well, I, like I said, I didn't really uh, get into that relationship. Yeah. That within itself is the best acting within that relationship and friends, where you see Ross and he's totally devastated that he wasn't able to take the woman he loves to prom. So, you said that earlier, I would have, I would have voted for it for seeing Ross sad. I would have gave it my vote. But <laughs> num- number three, Friends, the one after the Super Bowl. Uh, the plot, these two episodes, which aired as a one-hour installment and why it counts as a single entry on the list, features Jean-Claude Van Damme, Julia Roberts, Chris Isaac, and Brooke Shields in a performance so uproarious that NBC basically gave her a sitcom afterwards, The Suddenly Susan Show. Cool. So that's number. That's have. That's, that's a lot of cameos in that bad motherfucker right there. So then we got that goes up against the puffy shirt though, which is fucking iconic. Seinfeld, season five, episode two. Seinfeld picks apart personality quirks with skill. Uh, this time, inventing the low talker. That's big too. In this case, the low talker is Kramer's girlfriend, who just so happens to be a fashion designer interested in starting a new trend. When Jerry unknowingly agrees to wear one of her creations on the Today Show, things don't go according to plan for anybody, uh, including George, the new the new hand model. Another fucking classic moment, which is the episode subplot. With this one, I'm going to have to go with Seinfeld. There's so much legendary stuff in this one. Um, it just can't kind of be. Uh, and that, that that shirt, the puffy shirt is like one of the most if you could own, like, if, probably the top three props from the show. If you could own something, I'd probably say that puffy shirt. I know that when they did the DVD releases, they released some type of special edition box set that came with, like, a puffy shirt. Yeah. What would you guys think of these two squaring off? 
Yeah, I mean, I love the puffy shirt. You know, the hand model stuff is brilliant. I mean, I the um, you know Estelle Harris just passed away. So rest in peace to her. You know, George's mother, who I always thought is criminally underrated and never got the credit that she deserved. I, I mean, Jerry Stiller is absolutely brilliant. I love him to death too. Rest in peace to him as well. But like, I think it was always telling of like some sexism in our culture, the idea that Jerry Stiller was a household name and nobody ever knew the name of Estelle Harris, really, even though they were equally as funny as each other on the show. Um, I mean, Jerry Stiller probably had a lot more prominent roles throughout his career, uh, in some ways, but I think Estelle Harris was just underrated. I mean, she was also Mrs. Potato Head in the Toy Story uh, films. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the puppy shirt, obviously, it's classic. Um, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, man. You know, and also featuring, uh, for any or 90s era Nickelodeon fans, uh, the, the, like, older guy, dad guy on Hey Dude, he was uh, in, the, in, the, in the puppy shirt episode as well. I like it. Yeah. Um, we're in the speed, have... speed round, too, Hawk, keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or your, okay. your light's flashing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to go with uh, friends on this one. Uh, this one. I have seen both of them. Probably shirts okay. Um, but uh, this one has to go for the simple fact. Uh, Brooke Shields, I mean, the whole subplot with Brooke Shields and Joey, where she's a fan who believes that he's actually the character that he plays on the soap opera is drop down hilarious. And you can see on YouTube and all that. And it's just plain comedy gold. So I'd have to go with friends on this one. Okay. All right. So and number two, friend, the, the one with two parts, it's like a, there was like an ER crossover. Uh, type deal. It's got a big long description. Monica rushes to the Ross frets over impending fatherhood while Joey is dating Phoebe's twin sister. Uh, much to Phoebe's chagrin. And after Rachel injures her ankle, Monica rushes to the hospital where they meet the two cute doctors, George Clooney and Noah Wiley, who were starring on ER at the time. Uh, Monica, you know, the rub is that Rachel doesn't have health insurance, so she depends, pretends to be Monica, which wreaks havoc on their subsequent double date. Hmm. I think it only got this part because it was a crossover, ER crossover. That's why it kind of got that. And it doesn't, it's going up against the soup Nazi, which it can't really compete. I mean, another thing that's become that dude travels conventions, signing autographs now off of that. It's pretty huge. Um, yeah. yeah. And based on a real guy in New York too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't never watch Seinfeld, it's quite possible that you know who the soup Nazi is. That's how big. Yeah, for sure. Up. Um, Hawk, do you remember the Soup Nazi one? You need me to yep. roll through it. All right, cool. Yeah, I've, I've seen the Soup Nazi. So, so what are we doing on that squared off? I'd have to go well, Soup you know, Nazi. You know what I'm saying. Greg is going to be Soup Nazi with me. What yeah. about the Hawkman? Well, I'm going against um, convention. I'm going to have to go with the Soup Nazi also on this. Woo! Wow. Nice, and and that's because I mean, first of all, the soup Nazi himself, um, uh, Larry Thomas. Okay, hilarious, mm -hmm. does a great job with that. Plus, also former roommate of a friend of the show, Jeremy Roberts. Correct. Nice, and um, plus also he had Wayne Knight in there as Newman. Of so 
Those two within itself sealed the deal. The the friends with ER, it was okay, but I don't remember anything that really stood out. No main comical bits. So, plus also I'm not a huge fan of George Clooney. So that's that's a check mark uh, uh, minus on that one. We've come to this moment, boys. This is the final one. Um, these are supposedly the best episodes ever that people think of these shows. Number one for Friends, the one with the blackout. Uh, the citywide blackout strands Monica, Rachel, Phoebe, Joey, Ross uh, in, at the girls' apartment and traps Chandler uh, in uh, in an ATM. And a weird, say it with me, an ATM vestibule with Jill Goodacre, who plays herself. Hmm. I vaguely remember this episode, but I'm not going to give it any love because I don't I don't remember much about it other than that happening. And that goes against, of course, like Greg brought up in the beginning where the film with the show with the show popped off the contest, which is they wanted who can go the longest without masturbating. Um, me personally, for this, what I'm going to have to say Seinfeld with Greg, me and Greg are going to have to say Seinfeld on this one. Now, Alexander the Hawk, what do you think? Which one is it? Well, you know, I'm going to have to actually go with Friends. Hey. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. First of all, uh, the whole Matthew Perry with Jill Goodacre in the ATM was hilarious. I love that. Plus, also, another big, huge check mod friend of the show, Larry Hankin himself, Weird Man, Mr. Heckles was in it. Oh, so, yeah, for me... It. I'm sorry. I'm going with friends on that. Number one. All right. I nice. support that. I support that. So by the end of this running, real quick, uh, it goes down. Though we got Seinfeld is victorious with 22, and friends only had nine, but nine's better than zero. So we got to say absolutely <laughs> kudos on that one for them. That was fun. But I guess now we know who is better. What is the better show? And, uh, well, I think I think was a little, a little, you know, kind of under. Un, I mean, you only got me fighting for friends over here. I mean, I, I'm a scrapper, but I mean, my, you got the height and, and Greg, you got the the ferocity. So you know, I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I can't I can't hold both of you guys off. <laughs> so with that being said, you know, I know Greg's here. He's got the, the Indiegogo page for Bad Brain going right now. Go check it out. We're a big fan of uh, Greg's films and stuff. This new one's got Kansas Bowling in it, who was in the previous um, Psycho Ape film. She was also, I think, in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? She played a mm-hmm. uh, Manson, uh, one yep. of the family members. That's yep. very cool. Yeah, so hell yeah, go check that out. You know, they're looking for loot. There's a lot of cool perks there. And uh, not the perks that Matthew Perry was taking, but perks that are fun that, you know, you, you get involved with an artistic project. You give a little, you get a little. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, hell yeah, you know. And, you, you know, yeah, Psycho Wave, Hectic Knife, glorious, magnificent. Uh, and we thank you all for being on the show again, Greg. Yeah, thank you so much. No, we the Indiegogo's up. It's, it's called Bad Brain. Uh, we've also got Whitney Moore, who is the star of Birdemic. Oh, yeah. Um, we have, uh, we have, uh, Bill Whedon, who I met when we did Psycho together. He was in the star of Sergeant Kaboom. The great Man, Bill Whedon, with, yes. Um, 
Yeah, we have Peter Stickles, who was um, the star of Short Bus, the legendary uh, cult film Short Bus. Um, we have John uh, Karras, who was uh, one of the stars of Poultrygeist. Um, uh, Parker Love Bowling, who was also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with her sister Kansas. So we have a, a, an amazing cast. Um, and uh, yeah, we got about 27 some days left to go on Indiegogo. We're just raising funds. We're at about 7,500 uh, raised so far. Uh, we're asking for 25,000. You know, every every dollar helps a ton, and, and there's like you said, we got a lot of really cool uh, things that you can claim, like a, an autographed copy of the script by all those people that I mentioned above. You can get a an original drawing by me, a picture of uh, my colleague uh, Doug Matthew, who also stars in the film. You can oh, yeah. be a producer on the film. You can get a special effects prop. Um, so we got a lot of really cool stuff, and I just I really appreciate uh, you guys having me on. It's always really fun. Um, I appreciate uh, anyone who's who's been chipping in and donating so much. It really helps us in supporting uh, independent art, and we're doing it for the love. And, um, yeah, bad brain. So, you know, the perks go all the way from, they start at a dollar and go up. So if you can't give a dollar, there's something wrong. you got change in your <laughs> yeah. pocket. You need if you can't afford a dollar, you shouldn't be donating to anything. You know, keep keep your money. We'll start at Indiegogo for your, to get you guys fed if you can't afford a dollar over there. Keep it creepy. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, as the film, you know, we get closer to the film, we'll have you guys on again. Maybe have some more people with the film and do something cool. But, yeah, we're definitely looking out for it. Can't wait to see it. Greg's a good dude. Go support him. Go check out the Indiegogo. And is there anywhere else you want people to check up with your stuff? You nah, do, like, social medias Indiegogo. or anything You'll like find that? It. Just type in Indiegogo Bad Brain. It'll come up. All right. Cool beans. Cool. All right, Greg. Well, thank you so very much, much sir. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, love it. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much I, for having me. It's so, so much fun. And that wraps up another episode. We have our pal on there, Greg Delisso, killing it. Like I said, you know, I, I think he's one of the fucking, uh, one of the best underground filmmakers going right now. Definitely support, you know, underground filmmakers need support more than any other filmmaker. You know what I mean? They really need help getting their, their visions to the big screen. You know, we've been in those shoes before and we still are and we'll be in them again and, uh, this gentleman's looking for us a little bit of funding. So, if, you know, if you, you know, a buck starting out at a buck, do yourself some good, some artistic love. Throw a $5 spot on there. Throw a $20 spot, 50 a hundo, whatever you're feeling. A lot of cool perks. With that being said, Hawkman, I, I, you were really holding it down. You were really holding it down for the friends, your friends over at Friends, you know, Chandler, Chandler Phoebe, Monica. You know what I mean, Joey? They were all they were all fucking in tears right now, just thinking of how much love you gave them this much, this, this this many years later, dude. Hey, what can I say? I mean, like I said before, I mean, if we were going by you know the TV series that I'm a huge fan of, both of them I have to admit aren't in my top five, but uh, I know it's blasphemy, but. Um, I mean, yeah. I have seen a bunch of episodes. I do enjoy what, uh, and I I respect what both of them tried to do. Yeah. And um, and like you guys said, I mean, I mean, <laughs> uh, both of them were kind of the polar opposites of each other, and um, and it's it's easy to understand why someone could be a huge fan of Seinfeld and not of Friends, or vice versa. I mean, I both enjoyed both of them. Uh, there's episodes I enjoyed and there's episodes I didn't. Um, I actually, uh, there is a, a little behind the story uh, of Seinfeld 
that I could drop. It's yeah, let's hear it. It's not going to be a, a nice one. I don't know if, if you can handle it. It's not going to put your boys in a good light. I uh, My boys are hardly ever in a good light, so it's no big deal. Okay, you, you're good with that? I, I just want to make sure. As long as it's not anybody that's been on the show before. I'm At not least not here. yet. At least not yet. <laughs> All right, we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, All right, no, let's hear it. All right. Um, you know the actor Armin Shimmerman, right? Yeah, he played Quark in Deep Space Nine. He's done a lot of other stuff. Now, he was in an episode of Seinfeld called The Caddy. Yeah. Now, um, I saw this in, in, uh, it was a convention somewhere sometime where, you know, he was up there and, and people were asking him questions. Most of them, of course, were Star Trek related. And one person did come up and ask him about how it was working with Seinfeld. And he made a comment saying that there are series you enjoy being a guest role on or being a part of, and then those that you did not. And Seinfeld was a did not. And the reason he explained, which was, he said there's a scene where you have Elaine... Jerry and himself sitting in a pew, I think he said. And he's in between both Elaine and Jerry. And uh, they had to uh, set up some lights so they could light the scene. And, of course, that was taking a little time. It was before a holiday, I think he said. And Jerry was turning to Elaine and talking to her and asking what her plans for the holiday was as he was doing the same thing. But at this entire time, ignoring the fact that Armin was right between them, totally acting like he was not there and that he was not even a thought, which I think is a very shitty thing to do. I mean, you can try to argue that, oh, there's so much into their character that the characters... And, of course, I mean, if it was really Elaine and Jerry, you know, the characters from Seinfeld, I mean, yeah, that's up the course because, well, they're assholes. I mean, that's the entire thing of Seinfeld. But right. the fact is, when you have a guest star on the show, okay... You don't ignore them. You don't treat them like, oh, they're just there just as like scenery or something like that. Right. And Armin, rightfully so, in my opinion, was miffed that here he is sitting close between these two people and they're talking to each other over him as if, you know, he, he, he was nothing. And, yeah. So, I mean, that shows that, you know, it, like I said, or was that the case with all the guest stars? I don't know. But uh, that's another reason why I wasn't a huge fan of Seinfeld, because that was kind of the negativity I kind of felt that the all the actors had. Yeah. And uh, that really didn't gel with me. No, I hear you. Well, Seinfeld's, yeah. so Seinfeld's notorious for being like a dickhead in person. Like, he's, his, his, his people like the show, but he's notoriously known for talking, you know, not really treating people like humans and stuff. It's weird because it's kind of, I think the Seinfeld thing is uh, he got so big and so famous. And I think that he, the snarky 
kind of smug attitude that was Seinfeld. The show, I think, maybe, you know, you hear a lot about people, wrestlers do it, actors do it. They live that gimmick where they they pursue something so long or some a, a certain type of personality that they slowly become it, you know. Um, it's with musicians and stuff too, you know, it's all the, anybody that every, anybody that puts on a big mask to do a performance, you know what I mean? Like Dice Clay, we talked about that when we had Ralph Sutton on the show, you know, Dice Clay is a dude who's a legend and extremely funny in the man, but he's, he, he, he's not like, he's not Dice, like Dice isn't him, but it's a character, but he does it so much that he just kind of slowly becomes it, you know what I mean? Um, with nothing against it, it's just kind of a trait that happens with the arts like that, you know. I mean, I mean, I mean. Here's the thing, okay? And like Seinfeld, I mean, yeah, is known to be. I, mean, I don't put him and Dice in that category. Where where Dice is when Dice is being a Dingleberry to somebody, I feel like it's part of the shtick. You know what I mean? It's part of the like you go. You know, if you had Don Rickles give you a hard time, you know, you would take that. I take that yeah. as a badge of honor. You know what I mean? Same thing with Dice, but I think with Seinfeld it's different because it's uh, not a show or it's more behind the scenes when things aren't going on, where it kind of treats people like they're not really worthy. Well, I mean, I mean, the thing is, first of all, we all know uh, Jerry Seinfeld uh, can't act. Right. And, and I, the reason I, he had his own stick and he made it a TV series that kind of, I think tapped into the feeling of, you know, Especially in New York, when I mean, as you guys said, it's a very New York type of movie. You know that they're in New York, and and it's kind of that attitude of you know always stepping on someone is is a part of life, you know. And one of the big things is you know I've seen in interviews with Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, the whole point was these characters don't grow; they don't learn from their mistakes, which is is interesting to uh, and kind of funny because you can kind of see, because there's a lot of people, we both know that no matter how many times they do the same mistake, they don't learn from it because yeah. they don't suffer any real consequences from it. And that's what uh, Jerry Seinfeld and his group, you know, tapped into. And at that time, it was a great time for them to tap into it, and it reached a very big audience. Now, the fact is that, um, yeah, uh, I also understand that you got those that, you know, like go into method acting and, and you know, and, and they think that's, that's like the truest art form. My belief when it comes to filming uh, is that the character is on the screen. When the screen is stopped, the character stops. Right? I mean, if you want to, let's say you're playing a carpenter and you're like, well, I should know how to be a carpenter since I'm playing a carpenter, and you take the time to take classes to learn carpentry and all of that, more power to you. I respect actors that go the extra mile to get to hands-on experience of what their character do- does and getting understanding into the insight of the character. But when it's, you know, time to turn it off, you turn it off. I mean, no one needs to deal with, you know, if 
if you're supposed to be an invalid, have someone carry you to the bathroom. If you can do it yourself. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. No, I know. I know you all, as long as I've known you, you've always brought up that element of uh, that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I mean, the biggest one is Jared Leto at playing Morbius. Well, what, do you do? what do you do for that? What do you do? Uh, well, have, have you seen the trailers? No, but I know that he was trouble on Suicide Squad as well. Oh, yeah. like, some people like oh, yeah. use condoms with coming in or something fucked up. Yeah, well, supposedly, um, now, uh, the character uh, uh, Michael Morbius, before he becomes the vampire, he has some kind of um, uh, disease where he needs crutches to move around. Yeah. And supposedly, he'd take 45 minutes on set to take a piss because of trying to deal with the crutches and some other stuff like that, which I'm kind of like, okay, dude, that's bullshit. If you want to get into the mode and feel like how it is to live your life like that, how many months did you know before you did the movie you were going to do it? Spend right. those months doing the training. Spend every day you want, you know, with, with those things. Get get the feeling. Going to the bathroom. Uh, to give you that insight into the character, the, 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 the suffering if you really want to do. But when you're on set... It's not just you. You're, you're there with actors, with crewmen. It's not their jobs to help you with your character. It's your job. You do it on your own and not to the hindrance of the production. And I mean, if it's, the, it's one if you're doing a... It's one thing if you're doing a fucking super dramatic film, but he's doing a vampire a superhero movie, isn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't and think you really so need to... Is he drinking oh, blood too? He better be drinking real blood if that's the case. If I was on the set carrying that, dude I around. would. I would hope so, at least for the simple fact of how bad that movie bombed. I okay. thought that did what? Well. I thought that was what people liked that. They didn't like it, huh? From I mean, from everyone that I know that has seen the movie, they've said how terrible it is. I've heard a few people say, "Oh, it's good. It's really good." I have not seen the movie, so I can't really say my opinion. It looked but, bad, but I think people said it was good. I'm, I'm sorry, but when it comes to Jared Leto, I feel like he believes that if he tells people he's method acting and he does all these crazy stuff, in his mind, it's it's telling everyone, well, I'm a, 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 a true actor. I'm throwing myself into these roles. Well, all the time, you're just sitting back and like, Dude, you're just being obnoxious. He's double D, man. He's dickhead and a douchebag. He does the music. He's a he's a fucking rock star and a, act, act, a fucking actor star, which is he, terrible for the ego, dude. I could, I would not want to deal. Jared Leto is a dude. If he called me up and said, Matt Fisher, you know what I mean? A man of small budgets. I want to make a movie with you. I would go. I'd probably say, yes, of course. But I'd think about it because I'm going to go. I'm probably not going to like working with Jared Leto. Um, the film's probably not going to do that great because I don't think Jared Leto is in favor of the audience anymore. I think there might be some teenage girls that go see his shit and people that like his music. But for the most part, I think they're pretty played out on fucking Leto. Um, and I appreciate Requiem for a Dream, which I think is the best thing he's ever done. And 
He was he he. I think he was in that Dallas Buyers Club movie. I think he did pretty good in that too. But he the the amount of films that he does that are good doesn't weigh out the the ego and the hype around him. I feel you know what I mean. He's just as good as everybody else, but like not better at all in any fucking means. He's probably well, you know behind the scenes he's probably worse. Like personally, he's probably worse. I've never met the dude. Could meet him and be the best guy in the world, but from the audience where I'm standing, it's like, ugh, I don't know, man. You, you kind of made out to be a dickhead, you know what I mean? Whether and he, it's him. It's not just the media because he he does stupid shit. Well, I mean, the thing is, yeah. actually, I I I mean, the, the stuff that he's put out musically, I've enjoyed. I oh, really, really, I mean, really? you listen. I've never listened to his music. You've listened to it. I listened to some of it, yeah. I knew I a girl was big into it once, yeah. I mean, I think he's a better musician than he's an actor, but that's my personal opinion. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, and when, when I hear people touting like, oh, I'm a method actor, I have to, you know, uh, wear period clothes, I can't take, you know, Penicillin wasn't around this time, and I'm sick, but I can't take penicillin because that would not be true to my character. It's like, dude, grow the fuck up. Right. And it's like, and maybe, maybe in the long run, maybe I'm missing, maybe uh, I'll never win an Oscar because I don't, you know, spend, you know, years in, in the woods tanning my own hide to to feel a try again to a role of a Native American, but you know, I'm trying to pick fights with people randomly and 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 uh, uh, so I can feel like a gangster or something. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I have a big problem with method acting when they try to bring it into the real world, and yeah. acting is a very personal thing. You have you you delve into yourself, you do all the prep work, but there's no reason for anyone in your life to be affected by the work you're doing. Because it's very personal. Yeah. Now I hear you on that. Did we end the show yet, or are we still going? That's We're still question. going, dude. We haven't That's ended. That's the true question. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about that, or, you know, Friends versus Seinfeld, or Greg? All right. Well, with that being said, uh, we got nothing but love for everybody out there. If you like this episode and uh, you want to hear more, then you go hear it more wherever you're listening to this. We're on every podcasting platform that there is. Our interviews pop off onto the YouTube show. So go check out Boombastic Media's YouTube page. Go subscribe for crying out loud. Uh, You get all our interviews on there, other cool stuff on there, film stuff, podcasting stuff. All our, all our uh, like holiday specials are up there from the podcasting deal. Good stuff out there. If you want to support financially, we have a Patreon page at Boombastic Streaming, Boombastic with two O's, and um, you know there's a lot of cool perks you can get. You can either do this podcasting, there's film, there's all different types of stuff. We kind of made it cool uh, for the people that we think would enjoy it. You know what I mean? It's one of those people that like what we do. 
I think would really get a kick out of all the content offered to them on the Patreon. We've been digging up through, I've been digging through old tapes and looking at finding old projects to put up and, you know, behind the scenes stuff that's never seen the light of day. So a lot of cool stuff over there. And uh, of course, go check out that Indiegogo for Greg and, uh, you know, Bad Brain. Go check out Bad Brain um, and give them some loot. You know what I mean? Share it, share the Indiegogo page. Be cool. And, uh, you know, be cool. Then um, share more of his Indiegogo than you do our episodes, right? Is that what we say? Okay, cool, cool. All right, folks. Well, that was a good old time. And uh, we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. Peace.